Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat and this opportunity for us to gather together as Mishpachah to worship before you and to dig into your word together. Lord, I pray that as we open up the word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives and that it will be your word heard, your voice received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. So uh, this week we are reading Parsha Babidbar, which is the first Parsha of the book of Numbers, and uh, it's Numbers 1, 1 through 4, uh, verse 20. We read in Parsha Babidbar about the census of the fighting age men of Israel, which are those that are age 20 and above, and the census of the Levites, uh, the way the camps of Israel would position around the tabernacle, and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and there's a lot of great information in our Torah Parsha this week, but... We're going to actually kind of shift focus a little bit today, and we're going to focus on the Haftorah Parsha, uh, which comes from Hosea chapter 2. We're going to focus on the Haftorah uh, Parsha from Hosea chapter 2, as opposed to digging specifically into our Torah Parsha this week. Before we dive into the text itself, I want to set up a little foundation for you in regards to, in regards to the book of, of Hosea and the prophecy the Lord was speaking through him to Israel. And you know, a lot of times we read through the Bible and we don't necessarily take the time to kind of go back and see who these people were and the kind of life they lived and whether they were in the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom or whether they were even prophesying when that occurred but you know by the time the split occurred or if they were before or after it or or what have you and we 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 lose out on some of the context of what we're reading because we don't necessarily grasp the background of why the Lord calls these specific people to bring these specific messages. So I want to bring a little context for you uh, historically into the life and the reality of the prophet Hosea and what the Lord was speaking through him to Israel. The prophet Hosea's life and prophetic ministry was during the reigns of King Uzziah of the kingdom of Judah, also known as the southern kingdom, and King Jeroboam II of the kingdom of Israel also known as the northern kingdom between the years of approximately 750 and 715 before common era the lord used hosea to prophesy to the northern kingdom or the kingdom of israel at the height of their corruption and sin which particularly in the case of the northern kingdom uh, focused heavily on idolatry itself the prophecy of hosea is rather interesting if not a pretty odd and weird narrative on its own and if you've read the book of hosea especially the first few chapters you'll realize it's kind of weird, and you kind of feel bad for Hosea to some degree. Uh, the prophet Hosea, uh, as I said, is very odd. Um, Adonai tells Hosea to marry a prostitute, and he goes out and he marries Gomer. Uh, they have a, not Gomer Pyle, uh, they have a couple of kids together, and all seems to be going along pretty well. Then all of a sudden, Gomer up and leaves Hosea, returning back to her old life, returning back to prostitution. Now, I'd imagine being commanded by God to marry a prostitute would be a rather shocking thing to begin with. I'd imagine that the pain of having said spouse leave you unexpectedly to return back to prostitution is pretty aggravating and angering as well. But then God tells Hosea to go and find Gomer, redeem her from prostitution, and to bring her back home again. Hosea not only follows through with what God was calling him to do, but appears to have done so with a genuine heart and a legitimate love for Gomer. 
Adonai then reveals the purpose to this very difficult situation, this very awkward calling that was very specific in his nature. Uh, he reveals the reality and the purpose to this to Hosea. He tells Hosea that his relationship with Gomer is an allegory of the relationship of Israel and the Lord. He called them out to be his own people. And yet constantly and consistently, we turned our backs on him and were prostituting ourselves to idolatry. It is in the heart of this awkward love story that we find ourselves in this week's Haftorah Parsha, beginning with Hosea chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to actually begin reading with verse 13. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Hosea chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. says, I will also put an end to all of her rejoicing, her feasts, her new moon, her Shabbatot, uh, and her Moadim. I will also devastate her vines and her fig trees, and of which she said, these are my payment for that my lovers gave to me, but I will turn them into a thick and be, uh, I will turn them into a thicket and beast of the field will devour them. Then I will punish her for the days of the Baalim to whom she would burn incense, adorning herself with her rings and jewelry, going after her lovers. But me, she forgot. It is a declaration of Adonai. Speaking through Hosea, the Lord tells Israel that he is going to awaken Israel to their mistakes, to their transgressions. He reminds them of their sins, of their being like Gomer and, uh, and, and returning back to prostitution themselves and idolatry. Remember, Abraham was called out of Ur of Chaldees. He was called out of a family who was very much rooted in paganism itself. His family were rooted in idolatry as it were. And God calls him out of that and calls him to leave this idolatrous family, this idolatrous country, and to begin a journey anew, serving the one and only true God of all creation. Israel, the nation as a whole, was enslaved in Egypt and had given themselves over to idolatry there. They weren't in the promised land very long before turning to idolatry as well. Even uh, more so, after the division of the United Kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon, the northern kingdom even rapid, more rapidly turned to idolatry, having swiftly set up idolatrous temples all around the perimeter of the northern kingdom, uh, particularly along the southern border, which would be bordering up against the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Uh, and they did this specifically to try to limit or prohibit or at least make it difficult for those in the northern kingdom who uh, just kind of got stuck there when things split apart that still wanted to serve God to be able to go down to the temple and to serve God. And it became an easier thing just to go to one of the pagan temples there and try to pretend like you were serving God. Uh, and so we see very quickly after the split of the nation of Israel and the northern and southern kingdoms developed that it wasn't long before the northern kingdom turned to idolatry. And ultimately that's why they are disbanded and sent out by the Assyrians. And then we get to the uh, the the northern the southern kingdom rather ultimately falling for the same purposes to a lot of degree uh, to the Babylonian uh, Empire. So Hosea's marriage to Gomer, however genuine, was a portrayal of the way that Israel was betraying their marriage to Hashem. Keep in mind that at Mount Sinai, at the original Shavuot, which is coming upon us this coming week, uh, that the intention of what Adonai was doing at, uh, at Sinai on Shavuot was not just to have Israel hear his voice. It was not just to give the Asur Hadibrot, the ten words of the Ten Commandments to Israel, but in particular, it was intended to be a betrothal. 
It was a wedding ceremony, a wedding day between Hashem and Israel. More so, the giving of the tablets of the covenants were to serve as what we would know today as a ketubah, a Jewish wedding uh, license, a wedding contract between the bride and the groom. Yet, in spite of all of this, Israel turns their back and their hearts against Adonai. They forget all about his covenant and his blessings and begin to chase after God's that were not gods at all, gods that they never knew before. They began to walk away from the Lord in order to be like the nations around them, which was the very opposite of what the Lord called them to be in the first place. And the Lord said he was going to take them away, uh, to, to take away their ability to be able to mix the holy and the unholy, the sacred with the ordinary. He was going to take them out of the promised land. If we're not going to live holy and sacred lives, he's going to remove us from the reality of that holy and sac- holiness and sacredness that the land really stands for. Because ultimately, as we read through the Torah, one of the greatest concepts is the separation of clean and unclean, holy and unholy, sacred and ordinary. This is the whole basis of this discord that we discourse that we read in verses 13 through 15. Now, if we're honest with ourselves as believers, we'll admit that our lives today in the 21st century realistically isn't too different than the very accusations the Lord is leveling uh, through Hosea against the northern kingdom of Israel. Our lives, redeemed by Messiah, are not unlike those of our forefathers. For far too often, we find ourselves chasing after the ways of the world around us. We find ourselves haphazardly blending the sacred with the ordinary, the holy with the unholy. We are redeemed by Messiah, and we are betrothed to him. Yet, instead of wholeheartedly awaiting his return in the wedding feast of the Lamb, much like Gomer, we are often passing ourselves off to things of this world and replacing our focus upon him with our focus upon things of this world. The call of Adonai for his bride is the same today as it was during the days of the northern kingdom. The same as it was during uh, leading to the exile of the southern kingdom as well. That as his bride, we are, to re- we are to return back to our first love, back to our true love. That we wake up to the mistakes we've made and the way we've broken, uh, uh, broken our bridegroom's heart and turned wholeheartedly back to him. We go on to uh, the, it's always great when that happens. Look down at my notes and entire past sections of scripture are missing, but that's cool. That's why I keep a Bible on hand. So we go on to verse, uh, picking up with verse 16. Make sure I'm on track. Okay. Picking up with verse 16. So then I myself will entice her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak to her heart. I will give her back her vineyards from there and make the valley of Ahor a door of hope. She will respond there as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of the land of, Israel, uh, of, land of Egypt. In that day, it is a declaration of Adonai, you will proclaim my husband 
And never again call me my Baal. Baal means master. Um, and it's in reference to the Baalim, the, the idolatrous gods uh, that, that Israel encountered in the promised land. Then I will remove their, the names of the Baalim out of her mouth, no longer to be mentioned by their names. Notice the beauty of Adonai's words here. Notice that unlike what we read in verses 13 through 16, the Lord's heart here is for restoration, for reunification. He doesn't want to give Israel the boot. He doesn't want to divorce his bride. No, to the contrary, he wants to restore her to himself. He wants to woo her again. He wants to, if you will, renew his vows with Israel. The Lord says he will entice her and he will take her out uh, to, uh, he will take her out to uh, the, uh, a proverbial date and speak to her heart. He will, renew, uh, he will renew her, one day I'll learn to read. He will renew her and draw her close into himself and he will remind them of uh, their covenant relationship and they will remember that he is their bridegroom, that he is their first love, their true love. And that Israel will once again call Adonai my husband and not chase after the gods of the world around us. Notice that just as with the first covenant, the original marriage ceremony, the Lord promises that when Israel returns to him, that he will bring them peace and security in their home, in the promised land. The Lord's desire in Hosea is uh, his desire throughout the prophets was not to try to destroy Israel or Judah. It was not to try to break down what he had built up. It was not to try to wipe out his covenant. It was to cause them to see that what they were overlooking, it was to draw their hearts back to their first love, their true love. You and I are in a similar reality today in our, uh, in, in our day and time. We are faced every waking moment of our lives with the choice to live a righteous and holy life or to give in to the temptation of the enemy and the way that he tries to draw us away from Adonai. Some days we find ourselves on the winning side of this battle, whereas others, and if we're honest about it, the, the other days far outweigh the former. We find ourselves on the losing side of this battle. But the truth is the Lord is standing there calling us to return to him, to make teshuvah. He, uh, his heart in is not to cast us aside. He loves us. He cherishes uh, our hearts. He paid an ultimate price by offering his only begotten son for our salvation. He is standing beside us, wooing us. He is reminding us of his love and his compassion, of his grace and his mercy. He is standing there saying, if only you would turn back to me, if only you would love me as much as I love you, if only you would recognize my love for you. And he says this over and over and over again to his bride. Far too often it is easy for us to blame God for the situations we find ourselves in. And this could easily be the case for Israel and for you and I as the Lord tries to call us back. As I think about my own journey in faith with the Lord and the many ups and downs of my life as I am reminded of the, I'm reminded of the poem or perhaps a prayer, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, Footprints in the Sand, whose authorship is long disputed and the poem reads as such. One night I dreamed a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. 
When the last scene of my life shot before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. There was only one set of footprints. I realized that this was at the lowest and saddest times of my life. This always bothered me, and I questioned the Lord about my dilemma. Lord, you told me when I decided to follow you, you would walk and talk with me all the way. But I'm aware that during the most troublesome times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. I just don't understand why. When I needed you most, you left me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I was carrying you. We so often get angry at God when things in our life get difficult. And we begin to blame him as though he left us high and dry. But the reality is, is more often than not, when our lives get difficult, it's because in some way or another, we are not following his direction and his walk for us in the way that we should. And rather than truly and wholeheartedly recognizing that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter where we are, and no matter what we're doing, God is always right beside us. As a matter of fact, this is part of the reason why in Judaism, we wear tzitziot, the, the tassels that hang from our uh, tzilikatans, our, our garments that we wear with them attached. We wear our kippot, our yarmulke on our head. Uh, it's because we recognize you know, that Numbers 15 says that we are to attach the, the tzitziot, uh, the, the tassels to our garments with blue strings so that when we look upon them, we'll remember the commandments of the Lord. We'll remember his word. And uh, we wear them out so that at all times we're reminded of that. And, and I joke around like, uh, I, I've, uh, I'm not going to pick up my father too bad, but my dad and I have kind of jokingly debated back and forth for years because he tucks his seat seat in and I wear mine out and we've always kind of half jokingly we're never really entirely serious about it but joking about who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong because you know we're Jews and Jews argue that's just what we do for kicks and giggles and so uh we we, we debate back and forth on it and, and my end argument is always very simply this God says that when we look down upon him remember to keep his commandments if the only time that we can see them is we're in the bathroom we're already way behind uh, the eight ball, right? Because we live most of our lives outside of the bathroom, which means that most of the time we're not going to be able to see them. And so we wear our CTO to remind us of God's word and to constantly keep us reminded of who we are in him and what we're doing for him. We wear a yarmulke not because there's any, you're never going to find anything in the Torah that says, thou shalt wear your uh, keep on your head or thou shalt keep your head covered. It's just not there at all. But we wear one for, for a number of different reasons. Primarily is that uh, the reality is, is that in Exodus 19, and again as believers we see this in 1 Peter 2, 9, the Lord calls us to be his nation of Kohanim, his nation of priests. And as such, the, the Kohanim, the priesthood, had head coverings. They were more turbans then, but they had head coverings that they were required by the Lord to wear in service before him in the tabernacle and the temple. And in uh, Jewish life and practice and our faith, we believe wholeheartedly that we are always in service before God. So we keep our heads covered because we're always in service before him. Another reason, one of the traditional reasons behind a kippah is that it's there to remind us that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, and no matter how many people we think we're trying to hide it from, God is always with us. And he's always watching over us. And he's always protecting us. And he's always keeping track of us. It's not a shame, fear, and guilt kind of a thing, but it's a checks and balances because a lot of times we think we can do things in the dark and in the, the corners of our lives where people can't see and we're hiding somewhere trying to hold it in so nobody knows what's going on. But the whole time God's sitting there going, hey, 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 stop that. Just come back to me. Just come back to me. And so our, our keeper reminds us of our relationship and our closeness with the Lord. How many times in our lives have we thought 
that the Lord has forsaken us? How many times have we felt like God was completely walking away from us in our times of greatest needs? How many times have we felt like Israel and Judah in exile because of our own shortcomings, our own sins, and blame God for them? Yet, all along, he was carrying us through these crises. He was protecting us from how much worse things could have been. He was caring for us, nurturing us, loving us more than we could ever imagine. Perhaps we need to open our eyes to the truth of our first love, our true love. We pick up again in Hosea 2, beginning with verse, beginning with verse 20 says, in that day I will make a covenant uh, for them with the beasts of the field and the flying creatures in the sky and the creeping things on the ground. I will break into pieces the bow and sword and warfare from the land. I will cause them to lie down securely. Then I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me with righteousness, justice, covenant loyalty, and compassion. I will betroth you to me with faithfulness, and you will know Adonai. So it will be in that day I will respond. It is a declaration of Adonai. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond with grain, new wine and fresh oil and they will respond with Jezreel. I will sow her in the land for myself. I will have compassion on Lo Ruhamah and I will say to Lo Ami, you are my people and they will say my God. In the following chapter, Hosea chapter 3, uh, we read about uh, uh, how the Lord has called Hosea to go back and to gather Gomer again. In fact, the Lord commanded him to go and seek out his bride he, uh, uh, has, she, who ran off and returned to prostitution. He er, is urged to redeem her from her fallen life and to restore her as his loved and cherished bride. And he does so without question, without argument, or without disdain. He runs and he finds his bride and he redeems her. Truth be told, uh, by a show of hands and, and typically speaking when you're taught how to preach in seminary or in college they tell you don't ever do this but I'm going to ask you very honestly and I want you to be honest with me by show of hands how many of us if God told us to go marry a prostitute would have willingly done so how many of us if God said now that prostitute that you married has ran off with you from you and gone back to prostitute I want you to go find her again and bring her back into your house and take her back as your bride again by show of hands how many would have done that I know I wouldn't, at least not willingly. <laughs> I say that, but there's a lot of things God told me to do that looking back at it, I would have never thought I was going to, but ended up doing it. And that's the case with Hosea. Is I'm pretty sure that growing up, Hosea would have never thought in a million years that he was going to be married to somebody who was a prostitute or that she was going to run out on him and go back to it and that God was going to tell him to bring her back in, and yet he willingly does so. Just as we see with Abraham when God says, get up and go to a land that you've never known before. Leave your father's household and everything you've known and go follow me and I will tell you where to go. And Abraham goes. The same when Abraham is told to take uh, Isaac to the mountain to sacrifice him. And he says, you don't even know where you're going. Just go and I'll take you. And he willingly goes to do it, trusting that God was going to provide a miracle. Who among us would have ever listened to God and sought after our wife? who has broken our hearts and sold herself into prostitution again. If we're honest, most of us would probably, contrary to the heart of God, have seen in Hosea, hope that Gomer gets what she deserves. Odds are most of us in this room at one point or another have been wronged by somebody in various ways and very seriously hoped and prayed that the individual that wronged us would get what they would deserve. And the reality is, is none of us as followers of Messiah Yeshua are getting what we deserve. We need to yearn for others to find the same grace and restoration that we have. 
However, this isn't the heart of God for us to desire that they get what they deserve. And I, for one, am thankful for that reality. I know that I haven't always been a great rabbi. I know I haven't always been a great father. I know I haven't always been a great husband. I know I haven't always been a great son. Heck, for the most part, I probably haven't really even been a halfway decent follower of Yeshua for the majority of my life. And the truth is, how good or not so good I am at any of these things on any given day can really break a bit of, uh, uh, be, break, can really be a bit of a crapshoot as it is. We all have our vices, our weaknesses, and our temptations. For Gomer, it was the lucrative life of the world's oldest profession. But Hosea, uh, Hosea's love for Gomer burned true, and he had a great passion for her. But their relationship was an allegory for Hashem's love and passion for you and I, for the northern and southern kingdoms, really for all of his creation. Sinai was a marriage ceremony, the cloud of the glory of Adonai covered the mountain uh, and served as a chuppah, as a marriage canopy over the nation of Israel. And the promised land was our marriage home, yet we didn't see it as good enough. We had the typical grass is greener on the other side mentality, but no matter what Israel did, the Lord was always yearning for her return back into his loving embrace. He promises Israel not to destroy, uh, not, not destruction or desolation, not exile and abandonment, but instead he promises Israel a renewal of their vows. Playing off of the prophetic names of Hosea and Gomer's children, he says, I will have compassion on Lo-Ruhamah, and, and I will say to Lo-Ami, you are my people, and they will say to me, my God. Notice here that Adonai is promising a return back to our first love, our true love. This is the case for you and I today. I don't know what you may be battling with, what struggles you are facing today. I don't know where each and every one of you are in your walks with the Lord, but what I do know for sure is that the Lord yearns for you, his bride to return to him. He can and will look past whatever mistakes you've made. He will redeem you and restore you, and your mistakes will be washed away to never be thought of again. He can, he can and will forgive you for your wrongs and for your sins. He can and will wrap his loving embrace back around you and call you his bride. He has already done the hard work. He has not only chased down his bride who ran away, but he has made way, uh, the way for return through the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. He offered his only begotten son that you and I could be restored and renewed as his bride. Much like with the words of Hosea, the Lord simply wants our love and our faithfulness. He has made a covenant with us and has sealed it with the blood of Messiah. Toward the end of Hosea, we read the promise of God to Israel's, uh, for Israel's return, which is still his heart for each and every one of us today. From Hosea 14, 2 through 5, it says, Return, O Israel, to Adonai your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words with you and return to Adonai. Say to him, Take away all iniquity and accept what is good, so we may repay with offerings of our lips. Assyria, we will not, uh, Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will never again say our God to the work of our hands for with you orphans find mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger will turn away from him. As I prepare to close, I want to bring this all home for us today. I believe this is a very timely word for us this Shabbat. 
Despite the many pains and trials that we have that have uh, that have come out of, and despite the many uh, many up opinions of both of good and bad about the past several months, the COVID nineteen, the government's response, the body of Messiah's response, and so on and so forth. One thing is true: we've had a very unique opportunity to reevaluate things in our lives. For most of us, we are stuck at home. We ha uh, life has come to a, an almost complete halt. For those that were blessed to continue to work, even the work, the way you work suddenly shifted. We all uh, of a sudden, the uh, all of a sudden, the entire world around us uh, shifted in a drastic way. But and stick with me here. I believe this was a powerful opportunity for the Lord that the Lord gave us as we continue to draw closer to the last days. And the return of our Messiah. We had an, a unique opportunity to reevaluate our lives and our walks with the Lord. Perhaps reevaluate is the wrong word. Perhaps recalibrate is a better fitting, and even uh, to reignite our faith with Him. For some of us, maybe it was more like a kindling of a flame that may have went out. For others, it was an opportunity to dig even deeper in our relationship with the Lord. But, and I need you to listen to me closely here. What the last two months were not, or at least what they should have not been, were a complete waste of time. I don't know about you, but personally, it was an excellent time for me, albeit it was definitely not how I would have planned to spend two months of my life. I took every opportunity I could to reevaluate my own walk with the Lord, to rekindle my love with Him and my passion for Him. I was able to spend a tremendous amount of time with my wife and kids, which almost any of you uh, know our lives tend to be crazy and hectic and pretty much day-to-day -day nonstop running. But for two months, we stood still. We spent time together. We talked. We encouraged each other. We grew together. The same is true for my walk with the Lord. I took the time in which nearly all outside distractions were removed all excuses swiftly fell to the wayside, and I dug deeper, deeper into my relationship with God. For example, I added a new daily devotional journaling program into my daily discipleship life. I read and listen, read and listen to books that affirm my faith and walk. I prioritize my first love, my true love, first and foremost. See, I live a rather hectic life, and I'll be honest with you, as a rabbi, it is very easy for our priorities to get out of whack. With hospital visits, the often spontaneous counseling sessions, the emergency needs of congregants, sermon prep, service prep, meetings, the list goes on and on and on and on and on, and that's only focusing on my ministry life. That doesn't take into account that my kids are in activities, that my kids are dealing with schoolwork. It doesn't take into account that my wife needs time for me. It doesn't take into account that uh, there are all sorts of other things going on in the world around me. But I was able to take this time to reprioritize my life and ministry and to make sure that my first love, my true love, was the biggest priority. I strived through, uh, through the Daily Dose of Living Water devotional videos to encourage each and every one of you to do the same. I pray that in your own lives over the past several months that you were able to experience a Hosea and Gomer rekindling of your relationship with the Lord. To recognize that even more so than Hosea and Gomer, the Lord will literally chase you to the ends of the earth just to show his love and passion for you. 
if you find yourselves realizing that perhaps you didn't make the best of the quarantine, perhaps you didn't notice that the government wasn't really setting you up to strengthen your walk with the Lord. And trust me, I don't know in the least, uh, I, I, don't, I do not believe in the least that this was their goal. But as Joseph says in Genesis 50 verse 20, yes, you yourselves planned evil against me. God planned it for good. Don't worry, today is a new day. You still have the same opportunity. All it takes is a willingness to set aside the ways of this world, the cares of this world, and to focus on the ways of the Lord. As is spoken in the letter to the Ephesians in Revelations 2, verses 4 and 5, But this I have against you, that you have forsaken your first love. Remember then from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first. As Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I urge you as individuals and as a community that we must return back to our first love, our true love, with a fervency of faith and a true passion for a deeper relationship with Him. Messiah is, retur is returning for a bride that is ready, for a bride that is waiting on Him, not for a bride that has prioritized this world over the Alam Haba, over the world to come. May we each turn our hearts fully back to him and walk in his forgiveness and love so that the world around us may see the truth of his salvation because the return of Messiah is drawing closer. And as we move forward, things are only going to get more difficult, which is precisely why our upright walk is so vitally important today and tomorrow and every day that follows. We must turn back to our first love. We must put aside the ways of the world around us that we can focus entirely on what the Lord is doing and wants to do in and through our lives for the betterment of the world around us and for the glory of the kingdom of God because Messiah's return is imminent and we shouldn't be caught with our oil and our lamps completely empty. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful even when we are faithless. We thank you that you are merciful and gracious to forgive us and to restore us even though we don't deserve it. Lord, we thank you that you have provided atonement and salvation through Messiah Yeshua, that we can be restored and renewed, that we can be made righteous and holy before you that we may be renewed in our marriage covenant with you. Father, I thank you that as we await the wedding feast of the Lamb that is to come, that we can rejoice in the wedding and the marriage ceremony that has already occurred. That can, we, can, we can willingly and wholeheartedly take joy in the fact that we know our groom is preparing a place for us and that someday soon he will come back to gather us in to spend eternity with him. Father, I thank you for your love and your passion for us. I thank you that you give us examples like the story of Hosea's life and the prophecy that comes forth from it, reminding us of the necessity for us to continually return back to you day in and day out. And Lord, I pray that you will uh, empower us with your Ruach HaKodesh to be able to faithfully return back to you 
that we will have our eyes open every moment that we walk away, every moment that we turn our backs on you, every moment that we think we're doing something in secret, that we will be reminded of the reality that you are there with us, that you are walking faithfully beside us, and that you are calling us to return to you no matter what. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen.